Well, hello, church. I hope that this message is finding you well. I um, hope that you had a chance to, to listen to the other uh, podcasts that we had sent out, um, in, including this, just addressing the time that we're in and where our church is at. And um, But we're going to continue in our series called Peacemakers. And I have been saying that perhaps we are uh, born and designed for such a time as this, being peacemakers in our community, and how timely is this sermon series uh, with all the chaos that has been happening, and especially over the last week, all the more, uh, we need to be peacemakers, and God has called us to be peacemakers. It's our inheritance as sons and daughters to be peacemakers, inheritance, and it's also our calling and our assignment, and um so, so that's where we're at right now in a situation that needs peace. And we are his plan for peace. And how do we know that? Well, we have to realize it's, that people are never going to all of a sudden uh, going to just get along. You know, the source of peace is not about us deciding to just start to uh, agree about things or, or come to consensus on things. But know that the source of peace we talked about is the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus. That is uh, the source of peace that we can minister from and provide and resource the, the community around us. And last week we talked about how to deal with differences and we encouraged our church to resolve conflict right away before it turns into full-fledged breakdowns and before they become divisions and, and rifts. And you know the analogy that we used was to stop up a dam if there's a little trickle. Stop it up there before it becomes uh, a full-fledged crack and it bursts opens and breaks because you can imagine what would happen if a whole dam burst. That's kind of how conflict can start small and then it can blow up and become big. But then the question that I um, have heard from people, what if the dam is already broken? What if the rift has already already taken place and there's already um, a division that has happened? And so it's important that we take some time and we talk and talk about how to restore when relationship breakdown has already already happened. And so, uh, you know, as we're talking about being peacemakers, you might well think, well, I could have used a peacemaker in a situation months or years ago because the breakdown has already happened. Uh, we have all seen divorces, we've seen sibling rivalries, we've seen organizational discord, church splits, and even litigation. And personally, I've seen a lot of these situations, I've observed them, and I've also uh, been uh, very close to some, kind of been uh, right up in the action. And so um, the question, I I believe, is not if it is going to happen, but when it happens, when these divisions happen, these breakdowns, the dam has burst, what do we do? What do we do? How do we uh, handle it? How do we respond when these relational fallouts take place? And uh, the answer is is simple, but very difficult to follow through on. The, the, the simple a- answer to this when we have these divisions, these divides, is that we work to restore relationships. We don't just let them uh, uh, keep on keeping on. We don't just let the, 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 the division to be there, uh, but we actually work towards repair. We constantly work towards reconciliation. Someone that you may have distance with, if there's someone that you were close with and that you now haven't talked to in months or years because of a relational breakdown, and uh, you, you've wondered, how do I close the gap? How do you do that? How do you close the gap between you and another person? 
And uh, the Bible gives us direction. Though it is not easy to take these steps that the direction that is given to us, the Bible does give us steps to take. And so the first thing that we need to do is this, is we need to realize that forgiveness restores relationship. That's how relationship is restored. That's how these, these breakdowns, these rifts are, are, are healed and mended. It's through forgiveness. There's no other way. It's through forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Jesus gives us the model of forgiveness and the model of, of grace through his sacrifice, he has forgiven us. And it is easy for us. We love forgiveness, but it's hard for us then to give for, to, to give forgiveness, to give grace. But this verse in Colossians tells us that that's what we need to do in the forgiveness that we've received. We need to forgive others. Forgiveness is the pathway for relationship restoration. That's how it works. There's no other way. And, and the realization is this, is that we're all sinners we were all mistake makers, and we will all say and do things that will hurt others. This is one of the parts of humanity that I hate. I hate that I have hurt people. I hate that I have offended people. I hate that I will again hurt and offend people in the future. But because this is a reality, all the more I am grateful for forgiveness. You see, Yes, I will break things. But with this glue called forgiveness, I can repair things. I can restore broken relationships. You know, a lot of people will say this and that about Christianity, you know, kind of criticizing Christianity. But you know, it was through Christ that, that his forgiveness and grace, that, that this grace was brought into our world. Because Christ, before Christ, it was kind of an eye for an eye type of culture. It was a wild, wild west of revenge. You know, you steal my pig and I'm going to steal your cow. By the way, I just made up that scenario. I, I really don't know if that really happened, but it, it could have. But And then after that eye for an eye sort of mindset, you know, that revenge sort of mindset, there was the law. You know, if you break the law... If you did something that was wrong, you had to pay a consequence. You know, you had to do some, had some sort of fine or, or payment or penance. But with Christ, we are offered forgiveness and grace and the pathway for restored relationship. It was Christ's death and sacrifice that where we were all reconciled in our relationship with God. You know, if you go to any school, especially a, a pre-K program, if you've ever, ever had the chance to be in one of the schools for young kids, there's always a plan in place, a process for children to work out conflict and disagreements. Uh, there's always these usually, you know, these cute ways where kids can take steps to resolve their conflicts and restore friendship. Where did our culture get this from, this idea of forgiveness and grace? Where do we get it from? It came because of Christ. We were taught forgiveness. We were taught about this grace that leads to reconciliation and restoration of relationships. You see, our culture has been introduced to this restoration process through forgiveness. One of the greatest examples that I've seen uh, was actually in the Hawaiian culture 
they actually have a process for restoration and reconciliation called the Ho'oponopono. Let me say that for you one more time. Ho'oponopono. Try and say that. It's a tough one. This word pono is the word for righteousness or rightness. Uh, and ho'o is to make. And so what this basically means is to make something right. When there is something that is wrong, is to make it right. And when it's mentioned ho'oponopono, Pono Pono means to make it very right. So this concept is was developed when there was a breakdown in relationship, when there was a riff uh, that where something was wrong that needed to be to be made right. It was made to reconcile and uh, and to not just do the the least minimum necessary, but to do a very deep work. That's why this Pono Pono. Now, let me explain to you how this works, this Ho'oponopono. What happened is, like, basically you take two uh, grown sisters, and let's say they get into a fight, right? They just, you know, they, they just, you know, get into an argument, they yell at each other, and they, they one of them says, I would never want to see you again, and, you know, and uh, the other one says, that's fine, I never wanted to see you in the first place, and they just kind of get into this beef, you know? And what they end up doing is they end up forbidding their kids to talk to the other kids, so it's like very quickly... Uh, a division, not only between the two sisters, takes place, but the whole family. This whole family kind of has a big crack or a divide in it. Now, this is very common in families everywhere, where kind of half the family doesn't talk to the other half anymore. Have you ever seen one of those before? But in the Hawaiian culture, when this happens, well, how, the patriarch or the matriarch will facilitate a ho'oponopono where you would basically take a set and established time and they would bring everybody together, the whole family. It doesn't matter if you're a part of it or close to it. They bring everybody together. Why? Because a whole family gets impacted when there is a division or a breakdown between two family members. You see, a riff is never just between two people, but the offended always take others with them. Sometimes these ho'oponoponos would take days. Why? Because hearts are hard. People are stubborn. They would start with a, a stubborn discord. It's kind of like, I don't like you. I hate each other. But what, ended, what ended up happening is they would spend hours, if not days, and the other people that are there, a part of this facilitation, would just kind of be thinking, come on already. And it would take a long time because people can easily, they can do verbal reconciliations. Okay, okay, fine. I apologize. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. And then walk off and say, come on, kids. But the Pono Pono part says that this is that we realize that sometimes we can do a surfacey apology. But the Pono Pono is to make it very right. It's to make sure that the reconciliation happened, not only verbally, but there was a reconciliation of the heart. To a place where they finally say, I'm so sorry. You're my sister. I love you. And there's tears and hugs and, and everything that would kind of re, rebind the relationship and bring true reconciliation. I actually had the opportunity when I was in Hawaii to work at a, as a, a, a gang intervention specialist. Yeah, I would actually do conflict resolution with whole gangs. So if you can imagine... Me, this you know, short, small, chunky kind of howly boy, uh, would try to do these huge, would do these reconciliations with huge Samoan gangs. It was pretty comical as I look back at it. But one of the most common things that would happen in the midst of these 
conflict resolutions or reconciliations is that we'd find out uh, through these interventions that they were family members opposing gangs. You see, Hawaii is small, and so right in the middle of a gang intervention, one would say, hey, don't I know you? And they would say, oh, yeah, hey, that, I, I, I saw you at the last family reunion. You know, we're cousins. And, you know, it's just interesting what can happen when these, these divisions happen, these offenses happen, because what, what, what happens is we build our teams, we create our armies, and we take people down with us. And oft, oftentimes we take people, uh, they, they go down with us and don't even realize why we're fighting. They just kind of are, are, are supporting one another. And there's a band of brothers in this battle. You know, you've heard stories, historical stories about families that have fought and fought, you know, like such as the Hatfields and McCoys about a disagreement between men that led to years of conflict and bloodshed or, or the Montagues and the Capulets. You know, these divisions and rifts, they start with two, but they always include more. And when we look at these rifts and divisions from a distance, we realize how, frankly, uh, how, just how foolish and stupid they are. Because those who create feuds, you know, they don't use their whole brain. Instead, you're fixed. They're stubborn. It's actually a form of stupidity. You know, ignorance is different when you just don't know something. But stupidity is when you know something and you ignore it. You see, being unwilling to forgive is actually avoiding using part of your brain. Yet people with unforgiveness, they become numb and are stubborn and fixed in their mindset. The reason that many of us struggle with forgiveness is because the hurt was deep and we don't want to forgive someone and we don't want to give someone the permission to hurt us again. But forgiveness is not giving permission. In fact, it is stating the hurt and establishing a boundary and releasing the anger that you have towards someone. When you release that anger, you are creating a pathway for reentry and the possibility of restoring the relationship. But it's with a new set of boundaries saying that you hurt me. This hurt. You can't do that anymore. But I'm releasing my anger and I'm creating a pathway for us to reconcile in our relationship. And so when we restore relationships, when we work towards this restoration, forgiveness is absolutely essential. But it cannot just be verbal or going through the the motions. It must be genuine. It must be of the heart. And so the second thing that we need to do to work to close this gap is we must realize, number two, restoring relationships takes priority. I'm going to read Matthew 5, 23 through 24 with you. It says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there... Remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Let me say it another way. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge that a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. You see, we need to desire to be in relationships and to restore relationships. The words of this verse uh, are saying this. 
two, two key words in, the, in this verse. One is first, and the other one is immediately. The first commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But guess what? There is a hinge factor in loving our neighbor. And so if there is a grudge or a relational breakdown, we go and reconcile first. Then we come back to our place of worship. You see, we all desire to be right with God, don't we? But when we desire to be right with God, it leads us to have a desire to make things right with others. Look at it this way. If there is anger in your heart, it prevents you to have pure, authentic worship to God. If your heart has offense towards someone, or vice versa, you need to prioritize reconciliation over worship. That's what it says right there. That even though, you know, all of us would say, you know, worship is like so important. You need to worship. You need to love the Lord God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Lord says, yeah, I agree. But if you have this grudge in your heart, if you have anger in your heart, take care of restoring and reconciling first and then come back and worship. Very interesting. You see, rightness with God hinges on rightness with others. The Bible says in the middle of church, if you have a per- if a person comes to mind, you know, and why does that happen? Why? Because, well, worship provokes these thoughts, don't they? An issue of discord. Uh, the scripture says, if in the middle of the church, get up, go take care of an issue between yourself and others. Now, if you see, if you see someone get up in the middle of, of church service, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they might be going to the bathroom. But worship church and, and church and listening to a message will provoke us because we think of somebody, we think of a grudge, we think of an issue. How do I know that? Because people come up to me all the time after a message or talk to me the other week about an issue that they have with somebody. The Holy Spirit provokes something. And so we need to respond when the Holy Spirit provokes us. Get up, getting up in the middle of church, uh, church service to go reconcile is not necessarily a dom- dogmatic demine, uh, demand, Sorry, but it, it, instead it tells us two things. Number one, restoration of relationships is priority. And number two, restoration of relationships needs to happen immediately. So don't stuff it. Don't procrastinate on it or overthink it. Just go and do it. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness and reconcile. So we need to make it a priority and we need to do it immediately. And number three, we need to make appropriate amends. What I mean by that is that sometimes our reconciliation attempts are half-hearted, aren't they? The attempt at reconciliation really doesn't match the hurt and the breakdown of the offense. One of the most famous stories that help us to understand this was the story of Peter when he disowned Jesus. Do you remember that story? Jesus Uh, uh, told Peter before his arrest that Peter would disown him. Peter said, no way. Jesus, I'm here with you to the death. I'll die with you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, the night Jesus was arrested, Peter denied even knowing Jesus on three occasions. Now, after Jesus' death and burial, death and burial and resurrection, Jesus went uh, to some different people and it was as if Jesus had a little bit of business that he had to, to take care of. And one of, the, one of those pieces of business was to reconcile with Peter. 
So after the resurrection, uh, John 21, 15, 17 says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter by this time was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, the restoration process with Peter required a bit more than a, Hey, Peter, hey, we good, bro? We cool? You see, what was required was Peter to tell Jesus that he loved him. Peter needed to say it not once, not twice, but three times. You see, it was that third time that it caused his heart to stir. It was that grieving. He felt it deep. You see, many theologians say that Jesus asked Peter three times because Peter denied him three times. It was necessary for forgiveness and the restoration of relationship. Peter needed to hear that he was restored to to being trusted again. And the Lord was entrusting him in in, in his God-given assignment to shepherd and pastor his people. Jesus had gone to Peter and and it was Jesus that went to him, you know, and and he went to him to make sure that the reconciliation, that the the work of reconciliation matched the hurt, matched the offense and that the the amends was appropriate. It reminds me of um, my son who recently, or I shouldn't say recently, it was well over a year ago that he had a conflict at school. We got called one day uh, that our son had had a conflict with another student. And what had ended up happening was when a, another child at his school had bit my son. And so we were, of course, we were called in to talk to the teacher and they wanted to talk with us about what had happened and what steps they were going to be taking. The school handled it very well. And then a couple days later, the teachers wanted to give us a, fo- a follow-up to let us know what had happened and, and just give us an update about how the reconciliation process went. And uh, what had happened was this child uh, that had bit our son uh, made a card and drew a picture as an apology for my son. And uh, the teacher went on to tell us that our son took this card, looked at it, and set it back on the table and slid it away from him. And without looking at the kid, he said, make me another one. And so the child did it. And uh, I don't know what it was, but there was something about the first card. I don't know if it it lacked some detail. I don't know if it was the colors that were chosen. I don't know if it was the picture that was drawn. Or maybe uh, it it was that it was, this was not a one card uh, needed apology, but it was a, he wanted two. But the apology via the first card, did not match the offense in our son's eyes. You know, Jesus knew that Peter needed to say, I love you three times. 
my son needed two apology cards for getting bit. You know, apologies need to, to match the offense. Apologies uh, need to be genuine apologies. And, and, and when they are genuine apologies, we need to learn how to receive them. For my son uh, to demand 20 apology cards would not have been appropriate. And so we had to help him to, to uh, realize that at the second card, that was a genuine apology that was given, and it helped him to restore relationship with his friend. You know, it also reminds me of a, of a time where a friend of mine, uh, you know, in, in college, in Bible college, in Bible college together, you know, he had met me and he found out, he found out that I was a wrestler in high school. And so he wanted to, uh, he wanted to wrestle me. And uh, this guy happened to be a big guy. And, uh, you know, he weighed uh, probably uh, maybe 100 pounds more than I did. And uh, he kept saying to me, hey, let's wrestle, you know. And uh, what he didn't know and every wrestler knows, it doesn't really matter how big somebody is. You know, wrestlers are pretty confident that they have the skills to, you know, beat just about anybody, even if they're bigger than we are. And so one day I decided today was the day that I was going to teach him that lesson. The problem is, is I didn't communicate it to him ahead of time. So one day after one of his classes, I was waiting for him in the courtyard and without him knowing, I just took him down. And it only took a couple of seconds. I kind of dusted myself off and I went off. And But later what happened, he called me and uh, he was just completely in knots, just upset. He said, why would you have done that? What, ha- what happened was it wasn't that I just took him down. It wasn't that I just showed him that I was this you know tough guy, a wrestler. It wasn't that. What happened was I humiliated him. And at that moment, it was like our friendship was over. And so I apologized profusely and we hung up. But I was still feeling uh, bad about what I had done. I had, I had realized the, the hurt that I caused. And, and so an hour later, I was still thinking about it. And I had, uh, even though I had already apologized the first time, I decided to call him again. And the second time was less about the apology. It was about the restoration of our relationship, telling him that I loved him as a friend. I wanted to keep him as a friend. And so whatever I needed to do to restore the relationship, I wanted to communicate to him that his friendship was important to me. You see, when we offend or we get offended, it is typically because there is a pre-existing wound that is getting reopened. When I wrestled my friend, that humiliation that had happened, there was already something that was on the inside that I, I triggered. That I didn't even know. And so when we offend others, we don't want to just respond or apologize for the action. But we want to respond and take responsibility and reconcile based on the hurt. Not just on the action. Oh, I just did this. It was not that big of a deal. No, we want to respond to the to the deep hurt that we contributed towards. And so we need to learn how to, to make amends that are appropriate and apologize to some, and to speak to some of those deeper wounds that we inflict. And so we all need to learn this. We all need to learn how to, to forgive and how to ask forgiveness. And because we can say we forgive, but our heart is sometimes still holding on to a grudge or offense. It's not necessarily true or pure or genuine. So all of us need the Holy Spirit to help us, don't we? To move our heart towards genuine forgiveness, to have true reconciliation, to choose 
to conclude the division or rift. You know, that's what reconciliation actually means. It means to bring an end, bring an end to the division. And so we have to make we have to make that choice to bring the to bring estrangement to its end, to its end, to bring the divide uh, back uh, together into to reconciliation and to and to bring and to connect it again. It is the end of separation. We have to choose. It is over. You see, it is sin that causes division and separation, but its forgiveness is the process uh, of of bringing restoration and healing and to, to heal the brokenness and to restore relationships. It's, it's seeing the end of the divide. And so during this time of this uh, social distancing that we're going through physically, I want to con- encourage you because I believe that it's actually a, a ripe time for reconciliation. This is a time where people are available and they're thinking about friends and family and they're thinking about sometimes estrangement. They're a bit lonely. They have a little bit, a little bit extra time. And so I want to encourage you as you have been listening, maybe there's someone that has popped in your mind, that, that grudge, that offense that has happened uh, in the past. And I want to encourage you to pick up the phone, to make that phone call and begin to work towards reconciliation. Do that work to bring an end to estrangement with somebody in your life. Will you do that with me? I want to pray for you uh, as we um, conclude this time together and as you embark um, on this week and as you um, will will take steps to bring some reconciliation with someone in your life. Father God, I thank you for each person that's listening. God, you know the hurt, the offense, the past, the things on our hearts. You know the people that we haven't talked to for months or even years. God, I pray for courage. God, I pray for faith. Uh, that we would take this step of reconciliation, that we would make that phone call, that we would initiate that conversation. God, you have called us to be peacemakers and you've called us to be bold in this matter, to not only speak to the action, but God, to speak to the offense, to bring true reconciliation is to be humble. Lord, it's to um, show that we love, that to show that we have compassion and to show that we really desire to have reconciliation. doesn't mean we always agree on everything. We don't have to defend uh, our, our right or the things that we said, but we need to be humble and to realize that you have called us to, uh, to be people of reconciliation. You've called us to be peacemakers. Help us to minister peace into the lives of others. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to tell you this. I love you. Uh, thinking about you. I'll be praying for you and uh, we'll be seeing you uh, virtually uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks. And we look forward to seeing you in person as soon as we possibly can. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, everybody.